So the second advent of Jesus is the the hope we have. I think that's the greatest hope we can think of. When we focus on the New Testament, it it comes to my mind that there is a very special part in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24 and 25. We started studying that passage. And last time I mentioned that there are seven parables. We call them ethical code of the end. I just want to repeat those because it's always good to remember and see how they are put together in the Gospel of Matthew and only in Matthew. Number one is about the fig tree. Number two is about the days of Noah. Number three is about the master of the house. Number four is faithful and evil servant. Number five, the ten virgins. Number six, the talents. And number seven, the sheep and the goats. These are found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 32, all the way to the end of chapter 25. And last time we talked about the faithful and wise servant, or I should say Adventist. Because this is about Advent, it's about us. And we learn that the greatest blessing and the best preparation for the Advent is to be involved in a service of providing food. I believe both physical and spiritual food at the right time or proper time that would help us to prepare for the Lord's return. That's the best we can do for one another. And today we move to the Gospel of Luke. I'm so thankful for the Gospel of Luke because it is different from Matthew and Mark. And of course we should say that there is only one Gospel But it is written according to Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke, and finally according to John. But if we go to the Gospel of uh, Luke, we will find something very, very interesting. Because the final speech of Jesus about the end, that is found in Matthew chapter 24... And then also Mark 13 is found but only partially in Luke 21. But as I've been studying the the Gospel of Luke, I found out that there is a second sermon or a preach preaching about the second advent, which is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. And this is kind of shocking because this is different from Matthew and Mark. Which is uh, parallel is found in Luke chapter 21. But when you move to chapter 17, this is almost completely different. And I'd like to share something with you today about this passage. So this is Luke 17, beginning with verse 20. 
And then we read uh, to verse 32, but in sections. So I'm reading verses 20 and then 21 first. Luke 17, and then verses 20 and 21, it says, Now when he was asked, meaning Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observations. Nor will they see see here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is, and this is the New King James translation, it says, within you. So this seems to be a little bit different from what we can read in Matthew chapter 24 or Mark 13 or even Luke 21. So these people were asking about when. And to me this is an interesting question because that's what we are struggling most of the time. When? And we have different ideas. We try to uh, set certain dates. And as you probably remember that in the last 160 something years in the history of our church, there were many, many new dates set for the Advent. Not only 1844 or 43 at the beginning, then 44, then in the summer, then in the fall, But uh, since that year, 1844, there were many, many new dates set in order to answer to this question, when? So Jesus is facing this question again. He was asked by his disciples when these things will take place. If you go to Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, And then uh, Luke 21, the same question. The disciples were asking Jesus when it is going to take place. And now the Pharisees, who in most cases disagreed with Jesus, were asking the same question, when? When the kingdom of God would come? And of course, later on, if you go to verse 22, the same chapter, Luke 17, then Jesus was also talking to his disciples. But let's stay with verse 20 and 21 first. When the kingdom of God would come. Do you think that signs are the most important things regarding the second advent? What do you think? Because we can have a debate over the signs. Sometimes we disagreement over signs. What is a sign? What is not a sign? What is a miraculous sign? What is a <coughs> natural sign? But <coughs> as I was... Uh, Consulting with different Bible translations, I found something interesting. In the New King James Bible, I read that 
The kingdom of God, this is Luke 17 verse 20. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. If you go to the King James Bible or the New American Standard Bible, you will find a different translation. It does not come with signs to be observed. Or the Revised Standard Version, and the New Revised Standard Version is saying that it does not come with things to be observed. NIV has a different translation. It says it does not come with your careful observation. Interesting. And I I even chose a new modern translation just to see and compare it with the rest. The living New Testament, it says it, it isn't ushered in with visible signs. So if you take any of these translations, I think it's clear that Jesus wanted to say something about an invisible Adventist or an invisible Advent. Believe it or not. That's what it is, an invisible Advent. That would include invisible Adventists. What do you think about yourselves? Are you a visible Adventist or an invisible Adventist? Does it have a positive meaning, invisible, or is it just a negative thing, invisible? We've been learning about the work of the Spirit this morning in our Sabbath school study, and we should say that the Spirit is invisible like the wind. But at the same time, it is, or He is, visible because the results of His work, those are visible. So when you think about the Advent or an Adventist, it could go either way, visible Adventist or an invisible Adventist, depending on the situation, and we will see how does that work out. But I just want to mention to you that my title for this sermon is the invisible, in quote, invisible Adventist. And Jesus is telling a little more about his kingdom. Because if you go to verse 21, Luke 17, verse 21 says, Nor will they say, referring to the false prophets, See here, or see there, that would be visible, the visible coming, but the false alarm of the visible coming of Jesus. See here, or see there. Because he says... For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So if it is within you, it, it might be invisible. Or can it be visible? If something is in you, 
Can it be visible on your face? Or you would remain, or the thing inside of you would remain invisible? Well, I, I also consulted some translations regarding this part of the sentence because I was curious how they try to solve this interesting structure. And the New King James Bible, as I have, it says God, the kingdom of God is within you. The New American Standard Bible and the NIV, the New International Version, says, Among you, or in the midst, in your midst. And of course, the Living Translation says, the Living New Testament, Among you. Well, within you or among you is not the same thing. So how can we solve this trouble? What does it mean among you? Can the kingdom of God be among us? Well, there is something which is found in the Gospel of John. So if we go to John chapter 1, that would give us a key to understand this interesting saying. This is John, <coughs> excuse me, John chapter 1 and then verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you don't know. Who was that person? I think it's, it's obvious that John was talking about Jesus. And interestingly enough, he said that there stands among you. So he's right there. He's visible, at least in the time of uh, John the Baptist. He was visible because he was in a human form. And John just baptized him. But he added something. He said, There is one standing among you whom you don't know. So I'd like to put a little emphasis on that part of the sentence. What does it mean you don't know? Although he is right there. Because those who witnessed the baptism of Jesus did not hear a thing and did not see anything but John. Is it possible that Jesus is among us and not everybody recognizes his presence? Is it possible? I think if it was possible in the time of John the Baptist, it could be possible even today that some of us would not even recognize that Jesus is among us. So this is one thing. The second is within you. This is even more interesting because there would be a description of the invisible Adventist. Jesus is, according to my uh, Andrew Study Bible, Jesus is already present in the hearts of his followers 
even before his second coming. Or can we say, or should we say, that Jesus should be present in our hearts before his coming in a visible form? I think so. So if he is within us, and in that sense we are invisible Adventists, we should remember that he will come in a visible form. Because the whole New, Tem- New Testament is, is uh, stating that Jesus' second coming will be visible. But at the same time, he will not come back until something is happening within us. So let's see how Jesus continued with this, uh, this um, talk with his disciples. Let's go back to Luke 17. So what does it mean within you? Well, let's go to Luke 17 and verse uh, 22 all the way to 32. Luke 17 and verse 22, it says, Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, or look there. Don't go after them or follow them, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then there is something which we will consider in a few minutes, but let's stay with this part, 22 to 25. What did Jesus say about his coming? The time is coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. If you take it as a reference to his second coming, how would you, how would you consider this statement? The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Have you ever heard somebody almost crying out, I wish Jesus would have come. And it takes so long. And if we we think about our pioneers, we we really should say that it's almost 160-something years now that they believe that the second advent is at hand. And it's still not with us. So there is an urgency in us, at least in me. I don't know how you feel about the Advent. But I would say that um, I, I would desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Would be nice to end all the trouble we have. Sickness, death, pain, suffering, war, and so on. 
and all the evil which is in this world and we would see peace at last so we would really desire if we are honest with ourselves we would really desire that the days of the son of man would be right here right now but we will not see them instead what we see false alarms false messages false prophets and Jesus is mentioning the second time in this very short passage that they will say to you look here or look there and sometimes if you go on the, on the internet I don't know if you, if you do go or not but if you go and visit some websites YouTube so on so on you will find very strange things out there modern prophets and since in this country we are having and we are witnessing a transition of power just within a few days people are prophesizing and there are strange prophecies about what's coming or what to expect but Jesus warns us he says there will be some false messages saying that look here he is, he's right there or, or he is here look at him and you know the greatest deception what Satan will manifest when he tries to imitate the coming of Christ which will be visible not worldwide but it will be the fulfillment of this prophecy that look here he, he just appeared here he appeared in Europe or he appeared in Africa or South America or North America or Asia or any other places but would not be a worldwide occasion but if you read the rest there is something which Jesus wanted to put on the hearts of his disciples so let's go to verse uh, 26 because he is using an example to be honest two examples that would describe the situation before the second advent verse 26 says and as it was in the days of Noah so it will be also in the days of the son of man they ate they drank they married wives they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all and there is something which Luke is adding because this sentence this reference to the days of Noah can be found in Matthew chapter 24 and also in Luke as we read but not in Mark and of course not in John but Luke is adding something and this is why I'm so thankful for this gospel because there are certain things you won't find in any other places of the New Testament but in the gospel of Luke so Luke is adding something 
Verse 28 says, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will it be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed? And two more verses to conclude this story. Very interesting. In that day, meaning the day of the second coming, he who is on the housetop and his goods or possessions are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. What is this? What is this? The time of Noah, or the days of Noah, and now he is adding something referring to the days of Lot. I think we need to go back to the Old Testament at least for five minutes to see what happened in the time or days of Noah, what the conditions were, and then move to uh, to the story of Lot. So let's go to the story of, of uh, the flood. This is in Genesis chapter 6. And so Genesis chapter 6, where the Bible is giving us something which is almost a description of today's society. Genesis 6, verse 5, <clears throat> then verse 11. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, daily, no good. There was wickedness, and that was great. Meaning that every intent, every thought was evil. I think we are coming very close to this situation. <laughs> very close to this one. But if you go to verse 11, that gives you two more signs, if you will. Verse 11 says, The earth was also was corrupt before... God and the earth was filled with violence. So evil to the very core of our minds, then corruption, and then violence. Three things we need to remember. Are they relevant? Are they coming more and more often do we consider those as signs or we, we've got used to them because whenever we turn on the news 
or listen to the news, the same thing is happening all over again. Violence and violence and violence and corruption, corruption everywhere. Or evil thoughts. But I don't want to talk about Noah. I'd like to talk a little bit about Lot. Because his story is a bit different. But we will find some very important lessons in that story. And Luke is the only one who mentions the story of Lot. So let's go. We are in Genesis. Let's go to chapter 18. Then 19 for just a sentence. Genesis 18 and then verses 20 and 21. The Lord is talking to Abraham. Verse 20 says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. What is this? There was an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. And their sin was very grave. What does it mean, grave sin? Open. Open sinning. No shame. No sadness because of sin. There was open sinning. We don't have time to read the whole story, but if you read the story, you know, that's very obvious that these people were evil to the core. And there was a great outcry, and uh, the scene was grave. But there is something more. If you turn the page to 19, chapter 19, verse 13. And now we are in, in Sodom. And so we read what the angels are stating. They say to Lot, For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So the question is, was there an invisible Adventist? What do we know about Lot? You know, this, he, he, he must have been a very interesting person. First of all, he chose a place he knew it was bad. And it went worse, and he stayed there. And of course, the question is, what kind of Adventist was he? Well, we just need to read two verses and we will find out. Same chapter, Genesis 19. Just two more verses. 15 and 16. Because all these things, this discussion and all the rest happened at night. 
And so verse 15 says, When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And so, and while he lingered, the man took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Why did he linger? What did he really want to do? To stay or to leave? To stay or to leave? Why? Because he hasn't finished his job. If you go to verse 14, same chapter, verse 14 says, So Lot, when he heard from the angels that they will destroy the city, he went out, he was a preacher, or I should say preaching Adventist, but he was an invisible Adventist. Uh, but he did something. Verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who had married his daughters or sons-in-law married his daughters and said get up get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. Was it a solemn warning? Get up get out of this place the Lord will destroy the city. But after that there is a sentence which made me think. There is a strange sentence. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be serious? Mm -mm. Joking. How can you joke about destruction? This is my big question. How can you talk about the advent when people have an impression that you are joking? Are you a visible Adventist? Or are you an invisible Adventist? Are you talking about the advent in a way that people would conclude that we don't need to take it seriously. This man is just joking. Nothing wrong with happen, will happen. Nothing wrong with this city. So there was something in his life which we really need to think of. He was lingered, the Bible says. He was kind of hesitating what to do. And he almost lost his own life and the life of his whole family because the angels, what did they do? You know, it's, it's amazing. Verse 16, And while he lingered, the man, meaning the angels, 
took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Sons-in-law were not there because they thought this old man is joking. So the angels took hold of his hand, Lord's hands, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. That was the mercy of God that he did not leave this man in the city. And then uh, they brought him out and set him outside the city. Well, I was thinking of this whole story and tried to understand what went wrong with Lot. So, and I ended up uh, collecting some quotations. <laughs> I probably don't have time to read the whole, but I just want to read a few sentences from patriarchs and prophets. <clears throat> and these are pages 160 to 165, I believe. 63, sorry. So this is one, 160 through 63. 163. It's, it's about Lot. She says, he, meaning Lot, did not realize the terrible necessity for God's judgments to put a check on sin. Some of his children clung to Sodom, and his wife refused to depart without them. The thought of leaving those whom he held dearest on earth seemed more than he could bear. So his own family pulled him back. The next quotation is even more interesting. If Lot himself had manifested no hesitancy to obey the angel's warning, but had earnestly uh, fled toward the mountains without one word of pleading, his wife also would have made her escape. The influence of his example would have saved her from the sin that sealed her doom. But his <clears throat> hesitancy and delay caused her to lightly regard the divine warning. And as we read from the Gospel of Luke, remember Lot's wife, what happened to her. He turned, uh, she turned around and that's all what we, we knew. She turned around and she stayed like that. Turn around. No movement anymore. She died immediately. And we don't need to read the rest of the story because we also know what happened to Lot and to to his two daughters later on. Because in their mind, they carried something out of the city. But in spirit, 
they stayed in the city. And it was the mercy of God that he did not destroy all of them. But it seems that this man could have earnestly prayed, talked to his wife and to his sons-in-law and so on, the whole family. He, he could have helped them to be saved. But he did not do that. And so, I just read one more quotation. And this is so great. It says, The Redeemer of the world declares that there are greater sins than that for which Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Those who hear the gospel invitation calling sinners to repentance and heed it not are more guilty before God than were the dwellers in the vale of Sidon. And still greater sin is theirs who profess to know God and to keep his commandments, yet who deny Christ in their character and their daily life. Are you a visible or an invisible Adventist? Are you the one who profess to know God and keep his commandments, yet you deny Christ in your character in the, and daily life? And so I, I want to add with, or end with, with something which we probably all know. Ellen White wrote it 130 years ago exactly. Rivian Herald, March 22, 1887. On March 22 this year, it's going to be 130 years exactly. And she wrote the following, The revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. Are you a visible Adventist? Are you an invisible Adventist? When you talk about the Advent, how would people react? Or are you hesitant in things? When you need to do something or you need to say something, you are hesitant? You want to say something correct, but you don't know the truth? You don't say the truth? This is our urgent need to have that kind of godliness. And those who are around us would really take it seriously and would never say that this man or this woman is just joking. We could help saving people if we really say the truth. But sometimes it seems seems to me that we have a tendency to linger around and don't do too much. And just wait for some kind of miracle or I don't know for what we are waiting for. 
But the angels had to grab. The Bible says, the Hebrew says that the angels grabbed. They, they practically grabbed his hands, his wife's hands, and then the two daughters' hands, and then pulled them, pulled them out of the city. That's, that's what we are waiting for. And finally, the mother, the wife, could not make it. So that's, that's not a good example, but it's in the Bible. And I'm thankful to God for inspiring Luke to include this sentence. Remember, Lord's wife. Because behind her story, there is the story of the whole family. And so, we need to take it very seriously, I believe. This is a new year. We are one year closer to the Advent. And we can ask ourselves, Am I or are we visible Adventists? Are we invisible Adventists? And if we are invisible, what is in our hearts? Is Jesus there? Are, do we resemble his character? Because if we do, then we'll be saved. But if we don't, our sins will be greater than the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think this is a very solemn warning given by Ellen White. So my prayer this morning is that our good Lord would really help us to think and to look inside. What are we carrying in our hearts and minds that are the influence of this evil world. So even though there are angels helping us, they could not take what is in our minds. They can grab our hands, pull us out of the city, but God forbid that we would be destroyed outside the city. So my prayer is, and I'd like to pray, I'd like to invite you to stand up for a prayer if you don't mind before we have the final, final hymn. And just to bow your heads for a short prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the good news of your second advent and for its closeness. But please open our eyes so we could really see the closeness and the end of everything. There will be no second chance. This is it. If the fire comes, like it happened uh, some thousands of years ago, in the case of Sodom, it destroyed everything. So how much more should we be living a holy life?
Help us, Lord, to become visible Adventists. In some cases, maybe invisible. But still, we should carry Jesus within us. And so help us to uh, recommit ourselves because this is a new year. It's a new beginning. Maybe this is the last year. We don't know. Help us to be ready. By your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.